and it was a, a culture shock. Um, but it was really important to kind of wake me up to this idea that you have to advocate for yourself, you have to choose the direction, and you have to be responsible for outcomes. And over the past six years, it's just been layer after layer of taking more responsibility. Welcome to the Good Athlete Podcast, the voice of the Good Athlete Project. This week, we're excited to speak with Max Newland. Max is the president of BrainCo, a brain-computer interface, also known as BCI, company incubated in the Harvard Innovation Lab that is unlocking the potential of BCI technology for every person on the planet. BrainCo's products provide amputees with the world's most intuitive prosthetic hand, give students hands-on neurotech learning experiences, and offer Olympic teams, Formula One drivers, and everyday people a brain-sensing wearable app to live calmer and more focused lives with Focus Calm. Max spent the last decade studying cognitive science and neuroscience, human development, and mind-body approaches to wellness and performance. Before BrainCo, he earned his master's degree from Harvard University, worked in leadership development, and conducted fMRI research at some of the best hospitals in the world on the impact of meditation and yoga on the brain, as well as the impact of invasive BMI technology on people with Parkinson's disease. Now as president of BrainCo, he leads the visionary team that is bringing BCI technology to the world so that millions of people can benefit from the next technological revolution that will unlock human potential. Before we get started, please like and subscribe to the Good Athlete Podcast. Be sure to share after giving it a listen. We appreciate your support and hope you enjoy. How would you describe that? The, the, the subtleties that make uh, make this whole experience so unique and fun. Is that one way to think of it? The subtleties, the little yeah. nuances in life? Yeah. Yeah, it's the uh, idiosyncrasies. The idiosyncrasies, exactly. So... I'm taking a course on performance psychology and happiness and all these things. I'm just like, uh, I'm like you, Max, I like to learn. And um, one of the questions, you know what a TMS device is? Yeah. Could you explain to our audience in in just a quick snippet what that would be? Yeah. So a transcranial magnetic stimulation device gives off pulses uh, of an electromagnetic pulse that can uh, stimulate different brain regions. And it's often used to treat neurological disorders like depression, I think is the most widely studied one. And it may be used for some off-label purposes too. I think there probably is some experimentation going on. And it was so interesting. The the, the question that was posed to us, we saw this video of, of a guy, whatever, it was, it was stimulated over here, I'm approximating, and his hand would jolt. I was like, holy cow, that's interesting. And they did explain uh, the tool uh, in use in mental health uh, sort of situations as an intervention, which sounds incredibly promising and, and, and good. The follow-up or the, or the question posed in the context of all of this was, if you could, and I'll, I'll just go ahead and ask you, if you could hook yourself up to a TMS device that sort of stimulated a constant level of happiness would you uh for short periods of time to see what it was like and then i would stop and see what that was like and what i could learn from that experience but i think the initial principle that came to mind is you want to train these things in yourself so that you're self-sufficient or self-sustaining and not relying on 
technology all the time. There could be a technology that is just so freaking awesome that you would want to be with it. Uh, but huh. I'm unaware I'm unaware that that exists uh, in this world right now. Well, we'll, we'll, that'll be a wonderful segue to some of your products when the time is right. Um, but but I, but actually, though, because uh, it's interesting that you said that I, I had the same inclination, like I'd like to see what it was like. But in the, you know, the question as it stood was, would you want to wear it all the time? Just be in a state of happiness. And, you know, with this sort of philosophical idea that like the pursuit of happiness or, or rather, is it the pursuit of happiness or the arrival at a state of happiness and holding that for as long as possible. That's ultimately the question, at least as far as I understood it. And, uh, you know, my response was, was definitely not, I think, you know, I think meaning and and depth of experience and the idiosyncrasies that pop up in life, they don't always conjure like bliss or, or happiness would be, you know, you'd have to kind of stretch the word happiness for that to be right. But, um, it seems to me that, the pursuit of happiness or the process or what was the language that you used? Like, um, I like the term emotional evolution. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. So it's the, uh, it's the learning of the lessons. You know, a lot of times when I meditate, um, sometimes my mind gets quiet. Most times though, some scenario pops up in my mind and I figure out some lesson from it. And then I'll end my meditation after I have this kind of clear lesson or clear message. And so maybe my maybe my purpose here, maybe our purpose here is to learn from experiences and kind of level up our understanding and heal our understanding of how the world works, how we work, how people work, and so that we can enjoy more things. Um, if life was a painting, would you want it to be full of different colors and different textures? Yeah. Or would you want it to be one nice, one nice uh, single color? Probably not. Yeah, no, I'm with you completely. And, and I actually am. I'm glad you brought up art because I, I think about it all the time. There was, I was actually watching this artist the other day, a painter who um, had this really interesting technique where they would just paint the canvas one solid piece. And then, and I think just a, a slightly different or the exact same shade, they would paint over it in little boxes and beforehand they would grid it out. You with me so far? So like, like, You'd think maybe this was going to end up looking just like graph paper, but they would they gridded it out, not a, an enormous color palette, but then then with their hand dipped and painted the squares, and it's like and it and it was and it's the subtlety, it's it's freaking it's beautiful, like the subtleties, like the subtle flaws in the hand, so that you know it was like a human, and then the way the light plays off of it, it's like it. I think it really highlights that idea. Uh, wow. That like there there has to be there's something to the human process. Emotional evolution is a great word, by the way. Uh, I think of that, and um, I, I think of that in the context of the study that you and I just worked on, the white paper we just put out. We can talk about that in a second, but you know, you've heard of the said principle. Did we talk about that maybe on the power? So. Remind me of it again, though. It's an acronym for specific adaptation to imposed demand. And in in the same way that you would become more fit through exercise, isn't that ideal rather than like if you could just pop a pill and improve your cardiorespiratory fitness and, you know, and change your body, but it's, it's not the outcome. It's, it's the process. And, and so much good happens uh, along the course of the process in the direction of the outcome. And that's ultimately what makes the outcome feel so good. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think we're programmed to enjoy the journey. I think that's why the heroes, the hero's journey is in our DNA for storytelling and, and who we are. You know, the hero's journey is just the, uh, the process that an individual uh, in a story or in our lives goes through where they face some sort of challenge. They meet a guide who gives them a plan. They execute this plan. They overcome this challenge. They face different parts of themselves and they come back home a different person. Um, that feels really good. If we just kind of snapped our fingers and like, imagine if you're watching a movie. And the person, um, you know, Luke Skywalker uh, understands that he's up against the evil empire. And then he goes, oh, OK. And then he just presses a button and the, the Death Star blows up. You'd be like, yeah, maybe that's like kind of ironic and funny, but it's not a very enticing or compelling movie. You want to see him go through these trials and tribulations and make friends along the way and get these support and learn about himself. And then he comes back to save the day at the end like that is inherently human. Um, I think that I think that I think that's true. I think also some people are in positions where they do need a little bit of relief immediately. They do need to kind of see what that might look like for themselves, mm-hmm. um, maybe as a reminder or motivation so that they can go on that journey. I think the journey is kind of the long term goal for all of us. But there there are situations I do think where people just need a little a bit of a break and they do need to kind of taste what that happiness is. They do need to kind of see what the other side is like um, to remind them that that's kind of the destination. So there's I think there's times for both. I love that. First of all, I think that's that's well articulated, well stated in and uh, a really poetic way of looking at it. Before we go any further, do you think you could give us just the quick snippet of your hero's journey, at least to this point? Oh, my goodness. Uh, So it's fractal. I think the hero's journey is fractal for everyone, which means there's big cycles and little cycles. Um, So I will pick one and share one. Uh, One layer of this. Um, Oh, I know exactly which one to do. So um, I joined, I'm the president of a company called Brinko. We're a brain computer interface company that was incubated in the Harvard Innovation Lab. Uh, I joined them in 2016, which is about six years ago, almost to the date, um, just celebrated my six-year anniversary. And happy when I joined, what's that? I said happy anniversary. Thank you. Yeah, it's it means a lot to me, actually. Um, sure. When I joined, there was uh, about 10 or 15 people in the company, and now there's a few hundred. So we've grown quite a bit. And at the beginning, there wasn't a lot of clarity we were working on prototypes we kind of knew what we wanted to do but not quite exactly and there have been so many leaps in growth um, in terms of our understanding of how business works how making good products work how doing good research works how running teams works how to collaborate internationally how to do all the nuances that come from a legal perspective and from an hr perspective and from a certification fda etc uh, PR, media, all these things, all these little learnings that happened along the way. But um, coming back to when I joined, I didn't know any of this. And I was kind of thrown into the deep end. And I remember this experience where I was working with a, a gentleman who was, he and I were trying to figure out this new algorithm that we wanted to use. And I remember kind of hitting this wall and I wasn't exactly sure which direction we should go in. And I remember one day after work, he sat me down and he said, Max, we hired you to be the expert. 
you need to be the expert. And I was like, oh my goodness, because through school and and the rest of you know the other positions I had, I always had a, a boss or someone to tell me exactly what to do, what the rubric was, how to achieve it. And this was the first time where it was a white blank page of paper and I had to draw the rubric. I had to create the direction and it was a, a culture shock. Um, but it was really important to kind of wake me up to this idea that you have to advocate for yourself. You have to choose the direction and you have to be responsible for outcomes. And over the past six years, it's just been layer after layer of taking more responsibility. I mean, even like a couple of years in, I remember these layers getting deeper in terms of taking more responsibility for the direction of the company, more responsibility for getting things done, for doing things the right way, for having difficult conversations with all different types of people in the company. Um, and even now I'm going through one where it's about being as clear and accurate and celebrating truth telling both for myself, my team, the people that I work for, the people that work for me, et cetera. Um, because without doing that, it, it cloudies, it cloudies, it makes cloudy the environment in which you're trying to solve a problem. And I think that there's a lot of, um, people out there that, that will maybe not tell the full truth because they don't want to look bad to their boss or to their colleagues, or they're trying to stay optimistic, maybe two rose colored glasses, their glasses are too uh, rosy colored. Um, but it's really, it's really important that you get through that and you can be super honest and, and celebrate truth telling so that you can get to the heart of the matter and, and solve the problem. So the hero's journey that I'll kind of put a bow on is like getting thrown into the deep end of this, this wild world of startups, uh, learning from lots of different people, learning from my experiences and the kind of skills that I've built around communication, around celebrating truth telling, around getting to the heart of the matter around having difficult conversations, around taking responsibility. And even now, six years later, and I'm, the thought that I had was like, this is probably never going to end. I'm going to keep on revealing layers of myself of how I can be a better person and a better professional and a more responsible leader. I love that. I love, And I like both of those things. Yeah, this, this unending you know, layer after layer after layer. That makes sense. And it, it actually fits into our discussion really well because I think it's not like it's not an arrival. It's getting comfortable and appreciating, peeling off the new layer, learning new things, moving on to the next set of challenges. And, uh, you know, it's almost overused appreciating the process. But man, is that like so obviously what we're doing, it seems like to, to gain appreciation for meaningful process is the surest way to, I think, enjoy the journey and probably as a byproduct, get to the favorable outcomes that you think you'd ultimately want to arrive at. Um, tell us more about the truth telling thing. So yeah. like, cause that's like, I think that's really powerful. What do you think the barriers, like why aren't people telling the truth? It sounds like such an obvious thing. Um, I think people have a insecurity around their job perhaps. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's a financial insecurity. If they lose their job, what that's going to mean for themselves and their family. They could have a, a self-image insecurity. What are people going to think of me or my skill set if I say this thing that's actually accurate? Um, and the funny thing is, and this is true for a lot of our fears, the opposite is more accurate. And what I mean by that is when people do tell me the truth and they don't try to sugarcoat it, 
I respect the hell out of that person way more. And I trust that person way more. And I want them to be on the team more because I know that they will uh, not sugarcoat things and they will help us make progress and they care enough about the team and the company to do the hard thing, which is sometimes um, risking looking bad. But the funny thing is they don't look bad to me. They look good to me because they're bringing me the truth. Now, if they keep on messing up, that's a different story. Uh, but if someone has the the courage to to tell the truth, then we can get the job done and we can solve the problem. And if you don't, if you don't do that, what you actually risk is bad decision making because then your team is going to make decisions based off of inaccurate information. And that right. may save face in the short term, but in the long term, it's going to lead to worse outcomes. Yeah, and I want to hear if you can give concrete examples and you know, in so much as you are comfortable, that would be awesome because. The uh, that seems like such a prevalent concern in cultures that I've worked with before, and and uh, whether that's a, a sports team or an athletic department or a school or a business, it, it would take it yeah. wherever you'd like to go. But um, yeah, if you if you're not getting accurate feedback on what's actually going on, then it's it's nearly impossible to select like the yeah. appropriate resolution to any given concern. So it's like, yeah, how could you? Game. Yeah, how could you? Yeah, you, you you almost luck into it. You'd have to luck into it. Kind of. Yeah, like imagine um, you're trying to drive from point A to point B and you, your navigator is on your team and you say, hey, navigator, like, tell me the directions. And they, they say, OK. And then the navigator just tells you what you want to hear. And so they kind of give you some of the directions, but not all of them. Or they leave out some details because yeah, yeah, yeah. they don't want to pretend like they don't know the answer. You're not going to get to the destination. But if they go, hey. This is the best of my knowledge. This is where we need to go. Once we get to this point, though, we need to look around and make sure we're going the right direction because I'm not entirely sure. You have a better chance of getting to your destination if your navigator is giving you accurate information. Um, yeah. So that, yeah. Would, that would be kind of a generic example. Totally. And would you, and it's funny that you say, not funny, but you, uh, you mentioned that like you actually really appreciate that. I, to anyone who might be doing that, and I think we all, do that to some degree uh you know we don't want to admit admitting our faults and flaws and errors is not a comfortable thing and, and so we don't actively pursue it uh, I'll, I'll come back to that in a moment because i think you ultimately have to create a culture where that's sort of normalized and you don't feel like you're going to be chewed out every time something goes wrong but i also think about how impactful it is on a leader like yourself you mentioned the uh the navigation if you're pretending uh, not only are you, you know, as the navigator, not only are you taking the whole crew off course, but at the beginning of that journey, until the leader starts to realize or the driver starts to realize that where the heck are we? Like we're, we're definitely off course for a while. You feel really good. And the reason I bring that up is I've been thinking a lot about expectation gaps, uh, you know, in the way people communicate. So now not only are we on the wrong course, but you've led me to believe I'm pretending I'm the driver in this case, you've led me to believe that we're on the right course. So my expectations keep growing. We're almost there. We're almost there. This is fantastic. Meanwhile, we're actually getting farther away from the thing. And that expectation gap, the, the ultimate frustration uh, has, has grown. Whereas at the beginning, the, I don't know, you know, maybe the gap's this big, but, uh, but instead it's massively widened and we're in the wrong place. Everybody's upset. Uh, so yeah, I think that's actually a great metaphor that you brought up. Well yeah, done. totally. I think that the expectation thing, um, the expectation thing also helps you win 
because if you're setting the expectation, let's say for your boss, you get to influence what you're defining as success. If I set the expectation that this is success, uh, let's say getting to the gas station, I say, listen, I don't know how to get to, to plot B or to point B right now, if I'm being honest, but I know we can get to the gas station and mm-hmm. this is how. And and now we've both agreed that getting to the we're getting so abstract here. Maybe we need to ground no, it a little bit. This that, they, that getting works, to the gas station yeah. is the goal. And I know I can get there. So it's oh, okay. We get to the gas station. Now I'm viewed as a success because I succeeded in in what we kind of defined. So I think that okay. you know being clear up front helps better helps you make better decisions, helps you make better decisions faster, and also it, it allows you to kind of set the stage or the expectation for what success will look like for your team. Um, at least even if it's a, a step in the right direction, you can you, you can win uh, by setting that expectation. 100%, Max, and I appreciate you bringing that up. I don't think we're getting that off track, and here's why. Like, I think it's a wonderful metaphor. I'm picturing a sports setting. You, uh, you bring in a defensive coordinator for your football team, and you'd like to run a cover three, but that person doesn't know how to do it. Okay. Like they can pretend they know how to do it and draw it up, and, you all, and then all of a sudden you're in a bind, or they can say, I don't. I've heard of it. Uh, I've got some familiarity. I don't know how to do it, but I know that the college over here runs it. Let me reach out to them to see if they'd be willing to kind of share some ideas. I, I mean, it, it applies all over the place. So I think that's actually a great metaphor that one could hold on to. Um, Good. I appreciate that. Okay. Uh, this is a, this is a um, not very tactful segue to. Uh, I'm ready to, for it. I'm bracing myself. No, don't just to the, uh, it's just, I'm just moving right over. We're not even taking a journey. We're just teleporting to the white Mm -hmm. paper that we worked on and put out uh, just recently. So for a while, we've been really interested. I say we, I'll I'll continue to use we, we've been really interested in how uh, the physiological state affects psychological outcomes. So uh, as an example is one, uh, if one is significantly sleep deprived, how does that impact cognitive processes, mood, whatever it might be? In this study that, that you and I put together, we looked at exercise. And exercise, as people probably know, uh, especially if you're familiar with the work of John Rady and his book Spark, uh, exercise uh, in certain doses for certain durations at certain intensities uh, should elicit a, an ideal combination of, of neurochemicals like dopamine, uh, norepinephrine, serotonin, a little bit of acetylcholine, and for anyone who's interested in that, but, but ultimately what's the outcome, um, improved affect. So we, we've run casual studies with survey about, uh, mood, focus, wakefulness, all this kind of stuff in the presence of an exercise intervention. Well, we kicked it up a notch when you and I paired up on this and said, you know, this is what the research says should happen. We've run a handful of studies confirming that yes, people are saying they feel these improvements and we took it a step further. Uh, and brought some wearable technology into the fold. Can you explain that for us? Certainly. So the technology that we used is called Focus Calm. It's a headband with sensors on it that detect electrical activity. And because it's a headband and it sits on your forehead, it's detecting the electrical activity that's coming from your head or specifically from your brain. So your brain cells, your neurons are constantly firing electrical activity. And the sensors in the headband passively detect it, kind of like a heart rate monitor for your brain. And based on how the signals look, we can tell what cognitive state or brain state someone's in. 
Uh, and what we're measuring is most clearly defined as cognitive workload. So how busy or how calm and relaxed does your brain look? And when you put the focus calm on, again, it's this passive device. It's it's um, passively measuring the electrical activity of your brain. And you open up the app on your smartphone. You can see your focus calm score, which is a score from zero to 100. It changes every single second based on the electrical activity we're seeing from your brain. A really low score means your cognitive workload is really high. Your brain is really busy. It's really active. And a really high score, closer to 100, means your brain is really calm. It's really relaxed. You're not using a lot of your processing power. Uh, maybe you're in a state of, of uh, restfulness or maybe even meditation when your score is high. When your score is low, maybe you're really ramping up the, your cognitive resources. Maybe you're even stressed or anxious. So we're measuring cognitive workload uh, using this heart rate monitor for your brain. That may be the first time I've heard you explain it as the heart rate monitor for your brain, but that's brilliant. I mean, of course, yeah, that that's excellent. And thank you for sharing that. So so now we we run the same sort of experiments and we're just triangulating these ideas. We believe there's a certain sort of chemical response occurring in the presence of exercise. We have um, you know the, the qualitative data, people saying that it's good and it's working for them. Now we were able to quantify brain activity and what we ultimately found, sort of spoiler alert, I hope you read the white paper. It's, it's, I think it's pretty interesting stuff. Um, but, but we were able to move scores about, you know, we were seeing 40% improvements um, on average and some were higher than that. So uh, the short answer to our question, could this you know, change the way that your brain works, at least temporarily? The answer is yes. And that's kind of cool to be able to say. Oh, absolutely. So very cool. Um, do you do you exercise, by the way? I do. Tell me. I more. do. So because you're a mindfulness expert, but I, but I hope physical health plays into this yeah. as well. So for um, years, I dabbled with the big lifts, uh, squat, deadlift and bench press. And I even imagined myself one day doing some sort of powerlifting competition. Um, and that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. Um, I became a dad about a year ago. And uh, even before that, kind of ramping up to that period in my life, started to work out at home. And what I realized, having gone through a few different uh, programs, the thing that matters most is uh, consistency. So yeah. I'm going to pick a program um, that is, that I can stick to. And before I was really concentrated and like, I wanted to get strong, right. I was doing the powerlifting stuff. I wanted to get strong. And then I thought to myself, what do I really care about? What I really care about is, uh, having good mobility, uh, uh some sort of <laughs> physical aesthetic or physique. Sure. Um, and if I get strong, like, I guess that's kind of interesting to me now, but like not so much, I'd rather just stay healthy, be able to move and maybe something that's a bit more kind of aesthetic or physique oriented, but most importantly, something I can stick to. So my current uh, routine is some sort of pushing motion, some sort of pulling motion, some sort of hinge and some sort of squat. Try to hit those every single day, really low volume so that I'm recovered enough to do some more motion, some more movements the next day. And if those movements are body weight, if they're with a kettlebell, if they're with a resistance band, um, if I'm in a situation where I can use gym equipment, like I'm I'm traveling or something, I'm at a hotel that has a gym or someplace with a gym, awesome, I'll do that. 
but it's mostly if I can get in those core movements uh, every day. And the thought process is if I need to skip a few days, well, at least I've gotten some full body, uh, some full body exercise in leading up to those days. And I can always jump back into it. um, Yeah. Once I, once I get back, back on the horse, so to speak. I love that. There's, there's no surprise to me that it's a thoughtful approach coming from someone like you. Uh, And importantly, this is, maybe you can, you can give us a view of what it would look like to um, be on the focus calm program. But even when you said like, you know, you and I have talked about this many times, but our, but our, the mantra of practical mindfulness for us is does your behavior match your goal? It goes back to the said principle, but applied to sort of every decision you make. And when you first started talking about your workout routine, it sounded like your intention was to be strong. So you selected behaviors that mapped on to that outcome, which is brilliant. And then it adjusted and the intended outcome adjusted. So did the process. This makes complete sense. And we're talking about physical outcomes. For people who would like to be, say, more focused, more calm, more mindful. I'm yes, I'm, it's it's obvious that I'm teeing you up, but also, you know, I just I think about how many folks maybe don't realize that mindfulness is a fitness. It's a fitness of the mind that has to be practiced. And yeah. I think your tool is a great one to do exactly that. Yeah, the the big concept that people are becoming more interested in is that you can train your inner world the same way that you train your body and that through practice and training you can get better at being calm at being focused you can get better at dealing with difficult situations or conversations at navigating difficulty without um, reacting in ways that maybe you don't want to and it's it's just training and that's the way that we've set up focus calm is it's brain training for people that want to be more focused and more calm and we include all different types of uh, ways of training. We have sports psychology content. We have breathing experts. We have meditation. We have brain games. It really just is about getting the outcome that you want. And like the said principle, doing the things that get you there. The innovation, the, one, the big innovation is that we can measure what's happening in real time, second by second, and also over time as you do your training. How is your brain activity, according to your focus calm score, changing and improving? I think that's incredible. And, and, and I mean that, and I've used it and I very much enjoy it. And everything we talked to is, is enjoyed it. Uh, we were on a conversation with, with techs not too long ago. I think those guys are using it. Uh, do you, does everyone, you said you have almost 200 employees. Does, is everyone a user? Does everyone have their own setup? Yeah. So we have about 50 people in the U S okay. um, and then we have offices around the world. And in total, there's yeah between 200 and 300 employees. Um, everyone does have a focus calm. And everyone uses it a little differently. Some people uh, play the games. So we have different games that you control with your brain. Like the more focused you are, the faster the race car goes on your smartphone. So you can race with your brain. Some people like the meditations. They listen more kind of uh, in a more relaxing way, sit and close their eyes, listen to the meditations and see how that changes their brain activity. And some people uh, like me like to experiment. So I will put the headband on and try not even the meditations in our app, but in other apps and see what types of uh, changes in my brain happen when I do meditations or if I listen to music or if I'm, you know, doing my emails or something like that. So 
not only is it a training platform, it's also for people who are interested in learning about themselves, a way to kind of experiment and see how different things in your in your world affect your brain. I like that a lot. Have you ever tracked someone over the course of an entire day? Um, I have not, but people have done that. So yeah. throughout like a, a whole work day, someone has yeah. has uh, worn the headband and used it as like a, a mirror or a feedback system for when mm-hmm. they're getting stressed so that they can take a break and uh, and relax a little bit. That would be super interesting. Do you think if, if someone had it on all day, could you get a printout of just the split section of like, like, like the waves over the course of a day? Could you just look at that? Yeah. 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 That's what that yeah. So the experimentation part is called the tracker and that's where you yeah. can do stuff like that. And then hold that up to your daily schedule and see yeah. who stresses you out and what, what, uh, yeah. what, and what does that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. That would be a yeah. cool experiment. Yeah. I like that idea. Um, but that would just be sort of playing with it. I, I, I like that a lot. Okay. Um, now, so to bring all of this together, you know, um, you mentioned some things that are really powerful. Uh, all of it, I believe, kind of falls into the category of what I refer to as mindful leadership. Can you give us some, what are some of the ways that you've built a culture around that concept? Because like you have just such a steady, mindful presence. But to be honest, man, I, I kind of remember you always being like that, even back in grad school, at least to a degree, maybe not in the, you know, maybe maybe this is the enhanced version. But um but how do you make that sort of a cultural norm? A few ways. There are a few ways. Uh, I think one way is through setting the right example. And that's true for all different types of leadership. If you want to have a change happen, it needs to start with you. So I would recommend people find a practice if they want to cultivate more self-awareness, more mindfulness, more calm, more presence. Um, in a way that imbues their team with this kind of thoughtfulness or self-awareness or insight or just being more calm. They need to find a practice that works for them. And luckily, there's tons of different practices that will help you achieve this type of thing. You can work with a coach that has this inclination. You can use Focus Calm. You can practice meditation. You could do yoga. You could take walks in nature. You could journal. Just like there's a thousand ways to exercise, there's a thousand ways to exercise your mind or find this this type of practice. So the first first thing and maybe the most important thing that they get some sort of resource um, to to build this within them. The other the other ways that kind of uh, flow from that are with your conversations with your direct reports. So asking thoughtful questions, getting people to think about things in new ways. Uh, will help them build that muscle of pausing yeah. and thinking. And I think these things together in real world situations give you the opportunity to display this skill. So mm-hmm. something that I do when we're faced with a difficult situation is remain calm, ask for the facts, try to take multiple perspectives, and then dole out my advice or suggestion in a calm way and just be thoughtful about it. Um, there really is no magic pill to this. It's, right. it's build the practice yourself, have the right types of conversations and be thoughtful and apply these things when things get tough. This is the, this is the thing that's true for mindful leadership and true for focus calm 
it is good to be able to do these things yourself. Let's say meditate on a cushion where it's quiet. It is a different thing to apply them when things, when it hits the fan, so to speak. And yeah. so your ability to transfer these skills, um, it's like this, it's like this, this is a good analogy. When you're playing a sport and you practice, it is different than when you're actually on the field during game time or competing. So when you're doing your practice, your meditation or your journaling, or you're working with your coach, you're doing your practice to build these skills, build these muscles so that when you're on the field or when you're at work, when things do get difficult, you're able to use these in a more, uh, yeah, real world scenario. And I think just practicing it both for yourself and with your team and the, and the quote unquote real scenarios that will um, be an example and a demonstration to your team of there's a different way that we can be. We can solve problems with a sense of calm and we can be we can celebrate truth telling and we can be factual and objective and we can make the best decisions that we possibly can um, without needing to get too overwhelmed. Max, that was amazing. There's a I'm glad you think so. I, I do. <laughs> <laughs> There's a different way that we can be. I think that's I think that's powerful. And 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 the the application idea is so true. In uh, in sports, sometimes uh, there were there are folks who would make the negative assertion that uh, a player may have white what they call white line fever. You ever heard of this? Which is they might be a practice all star, but by the time the game comes around, they 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 cannot apply these skills to the field of play. And I love the way that you just, that one, two, three sounds complete to me, which is work on it yourself, work on it in one-to-one, what I would call sort of cool situations. And then I, I, there's almost, and, and then there's an emotional recognition component, which is like, okay, now like it's game time. Like you, you check into the potentially chaotic moment, you call back to your practice. Um, and, and there's a, there's a comfort in that knowing that you're ready, that we can, there's a different way that we can be. We don't have to be reactive. We can be thoughtful. That's, um, man, I don't know a, a leader who would not want that. Yeah. Let me share one more story that uh, this was something that came up today. I was thinking to myself, <laughs> uh, when it hits the fan, um, I have had this assumption in the past where when it hits the fan, I need to get more activated. I huh. need to become more alert, more vigilant, and I need to take action. I need to go. Um, and then I questioned that assumption. And I thought to myself, maybe when it hits the fan, I need to do the opposite. Maybe I need to be more cool, more calm. And I don't need to believe this assumption that I really need to take action really quickly and move mm. pieces around on the game board and, and brrr, cause more, more swirl. When it hits the fan, maybe that's the signal that I need to take a moment, take a pause, be thoughtful and be calm and cool. Um, and it's just funny that that was something I was thinking about today, but it, it's so true there there. You can challenge this assumption that you, that I have, which is the assumption was when it hits the fan, I need to be more activated, but mm. you know, like we're saying, there's a different way to be. Maybe when it hits the fan, I need to be more calm, more cool, more collected. No doubt. And Max, it makes me feel like minimally, even for people who might be hesitant to this, who are, who are highly emotive and, and intense and all that stuff. Uh, at least I think you'd want this in your toolkit. You know, like maybe it's not, maybe it's not the absolute. Maybe there are people who have had great success and find meaning and enjoyment in whatever their speed is. Fair enough. But undoubtedly, there will come times where you have to call back to a steady, 
solid foundation. So to have that built in, in your toolkit and then ultimately let the leader have some agency there. No, okay, I got to use this tool makes complete sense. Fold that back. Fold, I love these metaphors that we're coming up with or, or referring to, but it, you, you've of course heard if, you, if all you have is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Okay, fair enough. And sometimes a hammer is appropriate, but to know that you have other tools uh, allows you to address and construct and weather yeah. storms and, and and all these things. So yeah, to be a great right. leader, you're, to be a great leader, you need all the tools that you have. Totally, and you need to work, and you need to work on all of them, and you need to become aware of when to use what, and that's a lifelong process. I love that. Okay, well, that's a perfect place to wrap, Max, because uh, we couldn't say any better, even if we jumped into this book of haiku. Uh, which by, by the way, you know what, I'm going to say, I'm going to actually read a haiku to end this. How do you feel about that? Right. Be happier. Dude, have you seen this book by the way? Okay. So. okay. I might send you a copy of this, the essential haiku. Uh, it, it's translations from a poet who I, um, really admire Robert Hass, um, versions of Basho, Busan, and Issa, who are three, like just rock stars. When, when these folks do it, they do it in the way, this is a full circle moment. They, they're really just bringing appreciation to the idiosyncrasies of the world. So I'm literally, I'm just opening this up right now. Um, here, okay. How awkward it looks swimming the frog. How awkward it looks swimming the frog. It's just an observation. And uh, in fact, I, I refer to this a lot in my own stuff, Max, just to bring this full circle, not to take the mic from you, but um I refer to this, you know, the filters, uh, the filters that we see the world through. Talk about like an important tool for the toolkit. Uh, Basho in particular, he used to, he had this thing where he would, he would work very hard to color his mind. That was his idea. Color his mind well, then walk out into the world and just write about what he saw. And that's where his poetry came from. And it was, it was more about brain training. It was about cultivating a state and then engage. And that seems to be like a lot of what, what you and Focus Calm and your work is about. So I will celebrate that. Let's do it. Uh, all right, Max, um, we'll have, you're the man. I just, I appreciate you so much. And I look forward to our next conversation, which I'm sure will be soon. Me too, Jim. Do you need business cards? Do you need flyers, posters, custom thank you notes, or any sort of stationery to take your business to the next level? If so, then you've got to see the good people at Mighty Printing. They've got two locations. One of them's up north in Glencoe, Illinois. The other is right in the heart of Chicago on 180 West Washington Street. They do most of the printing for the Good Athlete Project, and we just could not do our business without them. They've also worked with teams like the Chicago Bulls and the Chicago Blackhawks. They've worked with Let Us Entertain You Restaurant Group. They do holiday cards. They do wedding cards. They help you. They help you not only celebrate special occasions, but make them that much more special. And like I said, if you are a small business owner or a large business owner, they will give you the sort of personalized service combined with incredibly high quality goods. You just can't find that combo, honestly, anywhere else. Find them online at mightyprint.com. That's M-I-T-E print, P-R-I-N-T.com. And on Instagram, same thing, at mightyprint, M-I-T-E print. And tell them the Good Athlete Project sent you.